Wednesday, December 20, 2017. This is Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I know it's a busy time of year as we are all celebrating our holidays and uh, just enjoying a time that uh, that our nation sort of sets aside for, for friends and family and, and other celebrations. So hope everybody is enjoying however you spend this time of year. And I appreciate you, uh, you know, taking a part of the busy schedule, listening to Born to Battle. Uh, this is episode 70, 70 episodes in the books. This possibly one of the most important episodes I have recorded. I talked to Bonnie Carroll, who is the founder and president of the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. That's TAPS to most of us in the community. Not to be confused with TAP, which is the Transition Assistance Program, which is what many of us went through when we exited the military. TAPS specifically provides resources, benefits, and assistance to survivors of members of the military. And as Bonnie will describe, it is available to anybody who is grieving the death of someone who served in the United States military. And I think uh, that is something important to note, that you don't need to be a spouse you don't need to be, uh, you know, close kin. Uh, it could be your friend. Uh, if you're just, if you were in the same unit as someone and you're just having a tough time uh, dealing with the death of someone, TAPS is there to help peer-to-peer to support. There is a hotline and there's just a powerful community of survivors that are all supporting each other uh, through this organization and uh, through their own efforts. And it's TAPS is an organization that VA has collaborated with and partnered with uh, many times so that we, we can exercise the part of our motto to care for those that have borne the battle and their widow and orphan. And that last part is one that uh, I think and that last part, while well, it comes second, should not be secondary in our efforts. And uh, I really appreciate Bonnie sitting down and talking to me. I visited her office uh, here near Washington, D.C., uh, and we just had a wonderful conversation about her military service, uh, the story of her husband uh, dying in the military, and her inspiration to fill a gap that was present in taking care of survivors. And that's when she stood up taps and it, uh, it, and took lead of this really important organization. So um, I hope you enjoy. And if you have any questions, uh, taps is the organization to reach out to. Uh, you can always call their 24 seven national military survivor helpline 1-800-959-TAPS. That's 1-800-959-8277. My interview with Air Force veteran Bonnie Carroll. Hope you enjoy. We all come together and stand together to serve our veterans. We invest in the latest technology. We take the time to train the next generation of doctors and nurses. We work together to make sure we heal their bodies and their minds. This is our mission. More than 300,000 of us working as one, together with families and loved ones. No matter where they live in this country, we'll be there. We stand strong, united. Stand with us in caring for our veterans. 
So the one thing that uh, us veterans all have in common is the decision to join the United States military. Go back to that decision for you. My mother served in the Army Air Corps and actually flew planes. And so growing up, she would tell me wonderful stories about her service. And my mom died when I was a teenager. So uh, it stayed with me that a big part of her life had been service to the military. When I was 25, which was getting a little late in life to, to make a decision to, to serve in the armed forces, I thought, you know, I really want to experience this. I really want to be part of this national legacy of service. I want to honor my mom and what she did by stepping forward to, uh, to be part of the military. So I joined the Air National Guard and went to regular active duty basic training down at Lackland Air Force Base. Uh, had a wonderful experience there. Served as a paralegal in the Air Guard, and then uh, after I got my degree from American University, applied for a spot to be commissioned, was commissioned in the Air National Guard, and so career took off. I ultimately spent 30 years in the Guard and the Reserve in a number of different capacities, including after my husband's death as Chief of Casualty Operations down at Randolph Air Force Base in the Air Force. So I did. I don't know why I missed this when I was uh, when I was preparing for this. I too am an American University uh, oh. grad. Uh, 2016, though, probably a, a little bit. Uh, a little uh, after me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what was uh, what was your occupation in the military? I had a number of different specialties in the okay. Air Force. So started out in paralegal, and then as an officer, most of my career was as a logistics officer. For the the largest portion of that, I commanded a motor pool in the Alaska Air National Guard, so a lot of snow plowing equipment <laughs> and flight line operations in some pretty challenging environments. Yeah. But it had absolutely the best team. We had 60 airmen and NCOs who were superb. It was really a, a, an operation that could get things done no matter what the challenge is. While I was there as their commander, we lost two airmen and lost them in a very short period of time one to a heart attack and one to suicide, both sudden losses that brought our, our family of, uh, of airmen together yeah. and made us, made us a family. Yeah. Um, the name of the program is Born the Battle, and we know not every veteran sees or goes to combat. We all experience, though, some sort of adversity, challenge, difficulty during our service. Do you have an experience like that that you can share? Well, when I was uh, in the Alaska Air National Guard, we actually had a mishap on the ramp during a drill weekend. The KC-135 and three boom operators were killed. Now that happened in front of 1,600 airmen who were all present that weekend. So I was asked to be part of a critical incident stress debriefing team. I went through training with um, our local community teams and then helped our unit through that. We were able to hold groups, talk about the loss that we'd experienced, honor our fellow airmen, and really in a very healthy way, come to a, re a resolution of how to move forward after this trauma. So I, I felt prepared uh, in the event the Guard had another mass casualty or, or another, uh, another challenge. Very tragically, about a year later, there was another National Guard crash. It was a C-12 aircraft, went down in the mountains of Alaska, and um, my husband was one of those on board. Mm. So he and seven other soldiers were killed. My husband at the time had been serving as the Assistant Adjutant General of the Alaska Army National Guard. He was a Brigadier General, 
Uh, he had the entire senior leadership of the Army Guard on board with him, along with a visiting two-star general from TRADOC. So it was, a, it was a devastating loss, certainly for the Guard, but overwhelmingly for me and my family. Yeah. What, uh, what, what prompted your transition out of the military then? Well, I uh, actually was mobilized to active duty, of course, on 9-11. Yeah. And at that time, I was, ironically, serving in the Pentagon in the Office of National Security and Emergency Preparedness. Oh, wow. So our office became very busy. Yeah. And I spent uh, that Christmas uh, underground in a bunker. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was an opportunity to, to serve in an incredibly challenging time for our nation. Yeah. Uh, after that, I was invited to be uh, a political appointee and served as the White House liaison to the Department of Veterans Affairs. So I spent 18 months in that role until the White House asked for political appointees to volunteer to go to Baghdad, Iraq and serve with a coalition provisional authority, which I eagerly did. So in uh, 2003, I headed over to Baghdad, Iraq and was serving there for a year. During that time, uh, was not able to come back to the Pentagon to do my reserve duty, had already gone over 20 years of service, so at that point uh, was transitioned over to the inactive ready reserve. Okay. So even though I was in a combat zone, yeah. was not able to come back stateside sure. to do reserve duty. So when um, in your, in the year or two following your service, um, and you can, you can answer this with whatever comfort level you have, but you know, we know a lot of veterans when they leave service, they experience some sort of emotional dilemma, whether it be missing camaraderie or, or struggling finding a new sense of purpose. Is that something that you experienced? The year that I spent in Baghdad was one of the most meaningful years. Different than, than the time, of course, with survivor work with TAPS, but my trailer mate became just she is to this day one of my best friends. She wound up spending four years in Iraq. She stayed in Baghdad, wound up being the deputy uh, to the logistics uh, lead for the entire country. Um, and uh, it, is a, it is an experience that, that brings us closer together. Uh, she, when she came back, we wound up going on a, on a road trip across the western states and we're looking for like just a little piece of land. We wound up actually buying something together in Cody, Wyoming of all places. And we're gonna build like our own, we called it our little bunker. But um, I know our, our experience was on the reconstruction side, not necessarily in combat, although we certainly lost a lot of friends and we're out there in convoys and, and working our mission. Mine was uh, rebuilding the communications infrastructure of the country. Uh, but the bonds that are formed in that environment are incredibly close. Yeah. I stay in touch all, you know, here we are 15 years later with so many of the people that I served with. My translator, the Iraqi woman who, uh, who was supporting me, is to this day a dear friend and we talk probably at least once a month. She's now gotten out of Iraq, she's living in Turkey, but uh, it's an incredibly strong bond Absolutely. that we have with those who have shared that experience. Yeah. So, um, I, I want to. I just, just want to get into the work that TAPS does. Uh, so um, we'll we'll hard segue uh, over there. Let's let's first start with the creation of TAPS and the importance of that. Like what was seen in the veteran space that wasn't being served, and why the creation of TAPS was so important. 
I, I was very blessed to have a career that included service in the West Wing of the White House, in a lot of intergovernmental uh, operations, saw how the government could really work uh, most efficiently, and then was blessed to meet and marry a wonderful man, moved to Alaska, joined the Alaska uh, Guard, uh, Air Guard. My husband was commander of the Alaska Army Guard. Life was absolutely wonderful until November of 1992 when Tom and seven others were killed in an Army plane crash. At that time, I knew about the other sorts of support systems that were in place for people who had experienced a loss in, in our society. So I was familiar with groups supporting cancer loss uh, of families, folks who had lost loved ones to violent crime, to uh, homicide, to um, any number of circumstances. So. I thought, well, there must be a group. There must be an organization for military families grieving the loss of a loved one. I immediately joined a Gold Star Wives, became a life member, uh, but they really weren't focused on grief and loss. Uh, it's a membership association where you pay dues and a big focus, which is very important, is lobbying for benefits to make sure that the benefits accorded to military widows are protected. and. We talked about where the gaps were, what the needs were. Did survivors have a need to come together to find healing following a traumatic loss that included the loss of a military culture and affiliation? So after two years of very, very careful needs assessment, gap analysis, going back to Washington and talking to the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of Veterans Affairs, really exploring what the government provided and didn't provide and where the gaps existed. I found that there were four areas that were not addressed, had never been addressed, and probably never would be, and were not appropriate to, to be addressed by the government. The first of those is a national network of peer-based emotional support. Grief is not a mental illness. It's not a physical injury. Grief isn't something that you can take a pill for, put a bandage on, and it'll yeah. just heal. Grief is a broken heart. We grieve because we love, and it is tremendously painful, both emotionally and even physiologically, to lose a loved one suddenly and traumatically, especially someone who had lived such a profoundly impactful life, someone who had stepped forward to serve their country selflessly. And that was another element of the loss. So for our families, it's an opportunity to come together to find normalization, validation, to honor the life and the service of those they love, and to find that they are not alone in their grief. The second big gap that we identified was 24-7 support. Grief is not 9 to 5. Grief is most yeah. likely 2 o'clock in the morning, yeah. or it's Mother's Day or Father's Day. Grief hits hardest in those dark and lonely hours. So since October of 1994, TAPS has had the National Military Survivor Helpline that's been available around the clock seven days a week, and it's manned live by survivors with special training. So that is a wonderful way that we've wrapped our arms around everybody grieving a loss. We also offer connections to care in every local community. It's critically important. We partnered with the VA Vet Centers, yeah. and in, uh, well, a number of years ago, Secretary Principi actually signed on to expand vet center counseling to all those 
grieving a military, all family members grieving a military loss. So it was a big step for the VA and it's been incredibly successful. It's allowed our families to count the VA vet centers as a wonderful opportunity in their community to find grief counseling. We also partnered with the Association of Death Education and Counseling, given our private uh, psychologists who specialize in bereavement to give families free and unlimited clinical grief counseling should they want to explore that in addition to the peer support available all across America and uh, that's been tremendously successful. I'm glad that you guys are partnering with with vet centers on that. I think vet centers are one of the most under I don't think we communicate the benefits and the power of vet centers enough um, and what's available there so I'm glad um, it's, it's so nice to hear that TAPS has tapped into that uh, um, that VA benefit as well. It's fantastic. We actually have in our memorandum of, of understanding with the Department of Veterans Affairs so many points of intersection. The National Cemetery Administration is so closely tied to the work we do yeah. because our loved ones heroes rest in those national cemeteries. We work with the education office to make sure that our families have the education benefits that they need so that the children can go to school. The servicemen's group life insurance program is administered by the VA. Of course, we talked about the vet center program and the counseling opportunities, and there's also the survivor benefits. A few years ago, TAPS worked with the VA to create the Office of Survivor Assistance. So it is a one point of entry into all that the VA does to support those who were born in the battle and their widow and their orphan. Yeah. So it is a wonderful partnership. The fourth need that TAPS identified was casework assistance. It's not replicating what the government does and does very well, but it's giving families that emotional buffer so we can hear the entire story and distill out of it the need that the family has. With the Department of Veterans Affairs, we have so many points of intersection and we can help families fix a headstone, access benefits, find education services, uh, and now that there is the Office of Survivor Assistance, something that TAPS worked on with the Secretary of Veterans Affairs, we have one point of entry and a very proactive team that can help us solve problems quickly and at the right level. If, if, a, if a survivor reaches out to TAPS, um, like what, uh, I guess the first question is, if someone's a survivor, do they, is there, do they just call a number like, hi, I'm a, I'm a survivor, I need help? Like, how, how do they get connected to TAPS to, to tap into the, the, this network? When a family experiences the loss of a loved one, the casualty officer, through protocols that we have established and agreed upon, will brief the family that there is ongoing emotional support, additional casework, 24-7 helpline, all the services that TAPS offers through this national peer network available to them. So the services actually, through this, will give the family a consent form. And uh, they tell the family that just by allowing consent for the casualty officer to share their contact information, they will receive a wealth of benefits, of information, of support, uh, at no charge to them. Right now, TAPS is receiving about 6,000 family members this year. So that's an average of 16 per day. And they also come to us, in addition to the casualty officer connections, on our website, through calling our helpline and asking for support, by 
signing up at an event that we may have, looking on the website and seeing that there's a care group in their community that TAPS is offering or another activity that they'd like to engage in. But uh, the, uh, the rate of survivors coming to us, very sadly, that there are folks losing loved ones, has gone up every year, and this year will surpass any year previously. A lot of folks think that the war is over and there are less deaths to hostile action, and that's very true, but there are a tremendous increase in the number of service members and veterans who are dying by suicide, by cancer, in accidents, and in, in other instances all over the world. If I'm, if I'm a survivor, uh, you know, my, my spouse died by suicide, and three years later I'm realizing I can't, I'm still grieving, I still don't, uh, I haven't bothered with trying to figure out what's available to me, what's not. I've been you know, is it too late? Like, am I behind the curve, or, or is you know, is are those resources still there? Families come to TAPS either immediately, or it could be weeks, months, or years later. We have family members who actually were at our most recent regional survivor seminar who lost parents in Vietnam, and are just now, you know, as adults, really grieving that loss because they understand as parents themselves how much they have missed. Yeah. It, of the four, you know, the four gaps you identified and the, the, the support that you provide in those, what do you think is, what, what's the, you know, in the pie chart, what is, what is the biggest portion, like what, do you, what is TAPS spending their most time doing in support of survivors? The most important thing that TAPS offers is peer-based emotional support, okay. letting families know they are not alone. And yet this is incredibly important for children, children who grew up in a military installation, speaking military lingo, going to school with other military kids who knew what it meant to PCS or, or their dad was TDY or deployed and all these words that other kids don't understand. So for our children, who move away then from that community to have the TAPS Good Grief Camps as a place to come together to connect with other kids their own age who have experienced a traumatic loss and who also are struggling to explain that to their non-military friends. We have military service members and veterans who volunteer to be mentors to kids. So at all of our camps, the children are paired one-on-one -on -one with a military mentor. They're in then their own age groups for the kids. So we have maybe 28-year-olds surrounded by 20 military mentors paired one-on-one, -on -one, and then our group facilitators and group leaders going through exercises that may seem even like play, but actually are telling them and teaching them how to grieve, how to cope with loss, how to deal with anger, how to handle sadness, how to be part of this new community, this national legacy of service and sacrifice. And what we hear, not only from the kids, but from these military mentors and veterans, is this is their place to heal as well. Yeah. Um, so this, you know, when people hear this, it'll either, uh, you know, it'll just be a few days separated from Christmas. Um, you know, as a survivor yourself, and as someone who has learned a lot about grieving as a survivor, how, what, you know, I know we always view the holidays as the tougher time of year, but 
Um, I don't know if you can explain more as to like what that experience is like and what is it about the holidays that really make it, even though you know ahead of time that it's coming and it's going to be a difficult time, when you're there, what truly makes it as difficult as it is? The holidays are a very tough time for surviving families, for all those grieving the loss of a loved one. You know, there's so much attention on family time and celebrating traditions and being together with those we love and sometimes those we love are no longer present. One of the things that we do at TAPS is let families know they are not alone, that there are there is an entire community of family across this country coming together to honor their loved ones. Last year, we did a whole campaign with, with our candles. It's, it's a little candle that we send out to families uh, that, that um, talks about taps on it. And it's just a nice little thing. But we asked everyone on a certain day at a certain time to light that candle, if even for a moment. And then think about this glow across the country that really illuminated the love and shared the life. And we knew at that moment in time that we were not alone. And it was incredible the feedback that we got from that, from folks who maybe as a single mom who lost her only child and felt that no one else could understand, she now knew she had a family yeah. and we were all there together with her. What about, um, and you may have briefly mentioned this in one of your um, earlier answers, but like what, what if my friend died? And I'm, and I feel like I'm that type of survivor. Like I'm still grieving, you know. Let's say I'm not a service member, and my best friend went off to war and died in action, and I'm the only person in my friend group that really knew him. Uh, does Taps have any? So, like, can I reach out to Taps for supports in in that grieving? The eligibility for TAPS is just grieving the death of a loved one who yeah. served this country. That's great. And it's very, very broad. Kirk Alkire is uh, very active with our organization. He lost 53 of his soldiers on a single deployment. He had made a dog tag for each of those fallen and carries those with him on a lace. And it's, it's profound. He can tell you the story of each one of those men. And He's, he is part of the TAPS family. He grieves with us. So whether it is a friend, whether it is a next door neighbor, whether it was a schoolmate, whether it was a, a, a coworker, we are there for all those grieving and honoring the life of someone who, who served this country. Yeah, traditions is something that I know a lot of that survivors have a hard time dealing with, right? You have this tradition, and you mentioned it when we were talking about the holidays. You know, you have these, you know, you did this thing with that person for years, and then now that time of year comes and it's time for that tradition again. In, in grief counseling, and this, is, this question comes purely out of curiosity, do, are people advised to try to continue that tradition in remembrance, or um, like, how, how is, uh, am I making sense with, with where, where I'm trying to go with this question? Sorry, it just popped in my head, so I'm oh, still absolutely. trying to process it myself. Um, but I can, you know, I can see the value in being able to, ha to continue this tradition in remembrance of someone, but I can also see how that may make it difficult to move on or to really move past the stage of grief. How is, like, from what you understand in the counseling that you've seen given, how is that dealt with for, with survivors? What are they suggested to do with those types of things? That's a great question. And, you know, we all advise to do what 
comes to you, what feels right to you, where your heart is at that moment on that day, that may be to continue a tradition or it may be to just skip the holidays altogether and, and get on an airplane and go far, far away. Either is fine. Be where you need to be. Do what feels right. Honor what's in your heart. And know that uh, this is a time to be kind to yourself. And if, it, if it's just too tough to go to holiday parties and put on that mask and, and be that happy person, you just can't do that, that's fine. Absolutely fine. You know, this is some family, someone was telling me yesterday that what they like to do now is prepare all the foods that their loved one really enjoyed because it fills the house with the smells that were there when they were present. You know, the, the, the cookies baking and, and all of the different, you know, meal that they loved. Uh, and that's a wonderful way to bring their loved one present into the, into the festivities, because you know, smell is very much a part of that. To honor traditions, another, another young widow is saying that every year she buys herself a little gift that she thought her husband would have gotten for her, which is kind of a fun thing to do. Yeah, that's great. You know? Yeah, that's, but, that's a lot of fun, I and, think, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so she said every year her husband still gets her a little something, and she said, you know, I think he would have, I think he would have gotten this, yeah. and, and I really love it, and thank you very much. And it's kind of their, <laughs> their little private, you know, joke that they, that they still have. With, I th you know, that's really, I, I really like that, actually, because something that me and my wife, one of the things we enjoy the most about our relationship is how well we know the other one understands us, you know? And I think that that's a great way to, to remember someone is to tap back into remembering how well that person knew you. And, and, uh, and I think being able to identify those little gifts, like, oh, they definitely would have gotten me that. I think that's, that's got to be a lot of fun. So in your in your time with Taps, from the day it's from the day you started to to now, what's what's something that you've learned about survi survivorship that maybe you didn't expect or or first realize when you started you know when you started with this? How absolutely all-consuming grief can be. You know, I, I always say I'm, I'm I just am so happy for people who don't know that, who have not experienced that, or whose you know, family losses have been very maybe grandparents late in life when it was expected and, and maybe even came as a blessing if someone was struggling. But when the loss is someone who was so young doing something so important and living such a full, healthy, complete life, it is absolutely devastating. Um, you know, we, we say it feels like you're just torn apart yourself, but yet you can't wear a body cast. There's no outward sign that you're completely just yourself um, so destroyed. In, in grief, people tend to hold their breath. It's an interesting thing, and I don't know if it's just out of anxiety or if it's because our loved one can no longer breathe, but what that does is it actually will shift your rib cage and place it in a, in a uh, way that becomes painful in your chest. So, so many of our survivors are saying, we're having chest pains. I think I'm having a heart attack. Well, it's, it's actually what grief has done to your body. So we do a lot of work now with our Inner Warrior program, with our health and wellness program, to help families understand the impact of grief on your body. Even what you eat. Some foods are natural uh, serotonin boosters. Dark chocolate, good quality dark chocolate, actually will help elevate your ability to uh, replenish serotonin and, and boost uh, your your coping strategies. 
other foods are actually natural depressants. So knowing that, knowing just ways that we can breathe deeper, eat healthier, heal in a better way yeah. is, uh, is making a big difference in how TAPS can support families through their grief. Yeah. A couple of questions that I always wrap up each interview with. Uh, the first, tell me about a skill set, a talent, an experience that you had in the military. And uh, obviously your, your husband's death obviously prepared you for being able to take on this role uh, at TAPS, but uh, is there another example from the military that is contributing to your success today, what's making you good at what you do now? The military does a beautiful job of teaching us to lead teams, leading teams to accomplish a mission. It, it is very purposeful. Uh, when, when I commanded the motor pool, you know, we had jobs to get done, but then we took on a lot of additional duties other duties as assigned and, and did those very well and enthusiastically and did them better than what was expected. Uh, we're very creative in our solutions sometimes as you had to be up in Alaska. But what that's taught me here at TAPS is we are a family coming together to accomplish a mission and it's an important one. It's honoring those who have served and sacrificed for this country by caring for all those who they have loved and left behind and we do that in honor of our loved ones. Tell me about a, a veteran or a veteran organization that you're familiar with, TAPS aside, uh, that has you excited about what they're doing right now. TAPS partners very closely with Student Veterans of America. We have kids that have grown up now in the TAPS programs, grieving the loss of, of their dad, their big brother, mom, and uh, now they're, they're graduating from the Good Grief Camp, they're going off to college, and wow, how great is it that we can connect them with their Student Veterans of America chapter at any university, any college across the country, so they have that military home. Yeah. We can prepare then the SVA members to welcome them, to embrace them, to be kind of their mentors. And it's a wonderful coming together. We also work closely with SVA on the GI Bill and getting the benefits in place for surviving families that are so important to enable them to attend school. So it's been a wonderful partnership, one of many, but a close collaboration. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, when we did the roundtable on the Forever GI Bill, that was a big part of uh, what we talked about was how uh, and, w and an element of the Forever GI Bill that I don't think was touted enough when, we, when it was covered in the media was what it was doing for survivors. Um, so yeah, big, uh, big ups to SVA for that. We just recently made Will Hubbard uh, Veteran of the Day, who uh, I think is candidate for Veteran of the Year uh, as well when we think about his contributions uh, over at SVA and, and making that happen. Is there, any, is there anything we haven't mentioned yet as far as TAPS, uh, survivorship, anything we've discussed that we haven't touched on that you want to make sure we, we talk about? TAPS is a charity. It's a nonprofit organization. Everything that we do, all the services that we provide, the events that we host, the connections to care and the resources we give families is done through donations, through the generosity of, of those who care about the families who have sacrificed for this country. We're part of the CFC campaign. We are out there on the Marine Corps Marathon with families raising money and running for TAPS. We are across the country from surviving children doing lemonade stands to our gala in Washington, D.C. This is a, a way that Americans can honor those who have sacrificed for this country by supporting the organization that supports them. 
Bonnie, we probably shouldn't leave without telling people what is the line that people should call um, if they find themselves in, in need of grief counseling or support from TAPS. The TAPS National Military Survivor Helpline is 800-959-TAPS. That's 800-959-8277. And that's answered 24-7 around the clock, 365 days of the year. Wonderful. Bonnie, thank you so much for joining me and for your time. Thank you for your service to our country, and most especially, thank you for your continued service to uh, veterans and their families now. There are nearly two million women veterans who served and deserve the best care anywhere. VA is dedicated to meeting the unique needs of all women veterans. VA offers comprehensive primary care and women's health specialty care. Women veterans who are interested in receiving care at VA should call the Women Veterans Call Center at 855-VA-WOMEN or contact the nearest VA Medical Center and ask for the Women Veterans Program Manager. Visit www.va.gov slash womenvet. I said it before the interview and Bonnie said it at the end there, but I do want to reiterate their helpline is 1-800-959-TAPS. That's 1-800-959-8277. Those of you who are familiar uh, with my work know that I am a big advocate for caring for those that are in emotional distress. Um, and grief is definitely uh, a form of emotional distress. And as Bonnie pointed out, it's not 9 to 5. A lot of times it's 2 o'clock in the morning. And that helpline is there to help you help you deal with that grief and connect you with the resources that can help you down the line as well. And as I said, a great community to be a part of as well. This week's Medal of Honor recipient is Marcellus H. Chiles, rank of captain in the U.S. Army, fought during World War I, when his battalion, of which he had just taken command, was halted by machine gun fire from the front and left flank, he picked up the rifle of a dead soldier and calling on his men to follow, led the advance across a stream waist-deep in the face of machine gun fire. Upon reaching the opposite bank, this gallant officer was seriously wounded in the abdomen by a sniper, but before permitting himself to be evacuated, he made complete arrangements for turning over his command to the next senior officer, and under the inspiration of his fearless leadership, his battalion reached its objective. Captain Chiles died shortly after reaching the hospital. We honor his service. I've been choosing these Medal of Honor citations to read either by random or uh, possibly to fit a theme of the month or week. But if you have a Medal of Honor citation that you want read for any specific reason or one that you just thought uh, we would enjoy, uh, just email us newmedia at va.gov. Just tell me what the recipient's name is. If you can, a link to their citation on the Medal of Honor Society's website is helpful. That wraps up episode 70. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And there's a lot of options out there for entertainment. So I appreciate you listening to these powerful stories brought to you by these veterans. The podcast is growing in listenership. And that flatters me and humbles me to no end. A way that you can support the podcast if you're enjoying it is to leave us a rating and review in your podcatcher of choice. Whether that's Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, wherever it may be. Uh, and that helps us uh, get a little more visibility in those platforms. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off.